Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number six of the Equinox podcast. I'm the host, Firewolf, and I am here with Sayjam. Sayjam, why don't you introduce yourself <laughs> right after oh, I make up. you go in during the middle of a drink? Oh, yeah, the coffee's great. What's up, everybody? Uh, yeah, I'm Sayjam. I make fighting game videos, and I stream them on Twitch and YouTube. And uh, I do fighting game commentary at events when they exist, which they currently don't because of everything that's going on with COVID, but... Uh, besides that, yeah, I just do a lot of talking, discussing, playing, teaching, fighting games, and some other games uh, generally on the internet. Yeah. So I think one question that I always kind of like to start off with is why you kind of chose fighting games ah, okay. and how that kind of became the genre you turned to when it came to working in esports. Yeah, it, it wasn't, I don't even know that it was like super intentional because, you know, I think like most people, I was playing a lot of different things. Like I was playing a lot of shooters when I was young. I was playing like, you know, League of Legends a ton. I was playing like, uh, just like tons of different genres of games and like tons of single player games and stuff. And then uh, I just happened to randomly, like, you know how these things happen. You like randomly get a copy, like GameStop used to do this thing where you would buy a game and if it was like a certain price they were trying to get rid of their old games that they like don't have sleeves for like they only have yeah. sleeves they don't have cases they're just like if you buy a game that's like ten dollars or less you can get a game that's like three dollars or less you know afterwards or whatever right so um i had seen the street fighter 4 footage at evo like in 2009 i'd seen the finals and street fighter 4 was like one of those games right it was like one of the games that was like you know they they didn't have they had a beat up case or like the corner ripped off and like mm -hmm. all this other stuff so i just picked up the game and uh i played it and i thought it was super cool and it got me into playing more and more fighting games and cho choosing to play fighting games as like what i did for a living was not intentional i played them as like a fan and as you know as a hobby for a long time when i was making youtube videos and doing other stuff but it wasn't really until i got super deep into traveling for them and going to events for them and stuff that i was like Hmm, maybe fighting games should be what I focus on for a living. It wasn't really anything I had ever thought about until it sort of just happened, if that makes sense. Right. I think that actually happens to a lot of people from like who I've talked to. But yeah. I want to jump a little bit before you did commentary and talk about mm -hmm. kind of when you were a competitor. Uh, could you kind of talk about the games you competed in and just what it was like before you were really doing the commentary side? Yeah, so like I was... I did a video creation. I was like playing games and stuff since 2009 or 2010. I think I got like my first capture card. And I was playing a lot of different games and stuff, mostly Street Fighter 4 and Marvel. And I tried MK. I tried all kinds of different games. And in 2013, I was out of high school. And so I was able to like, you know, go to local events and stuff. And the first game that got me to go out to a local event was Injustice. So I started playing a lot of Injustice 1. And then right after that, in the same year in 2013, was Killer Instinct. So that was like the year that I started going to locals. And then that year, I went to my first major, which was ECT that year I went to, or NEC, sorry. I went to NEC that year, which is the, the first major I went to. And then the next year, I went to SCR and like NCR. And I went to UFGTX that year. It was the last UFGT before, if you guys know Combo Breaker, essentially. Uh, UFGT was the event that was Combo Breaker before it. Combo Breaker is kind of like the spiritual successor uh, when the event was passed down from Keats, who used to run it, to Rick, who runs it now, or the Hado. And so I went to that event, and I went to a bunch of different events that year. And um, I was uh, traveling and competing largely in KI and Injustice. Those are like the two games that I played. 
And so that year from like 2013 into 2014 is the first time that I not only went to a local, but I was like, you know, traveling to multiple different events. I have five or six probably major tournaments around the U.S. Right. I think Injustice was such a great intro to fighting games for so many people just because mm -hmm. of the like the subject and who was in the game. Like that was the right, first game yeah. I could get my friends or family to really play from a fighting game side because it's like, well, we can play as Batman and Superman and fight each other. And then my brother would just spam lasers. But yeah, as you as you should, to be honest. I mean, that's the thing is, yeah, even my family, like a lot of them like playing video games, but they don't play a lot of the modern fighting games. But it's always at our S games. It's always like, oh, yeah, we got the new Mortal Kombat and we've just been ripping each other in half. Or, oh, yeah, we just got an injustice and like, you know, my Batman is like super sick and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, yeah, cool. That's awesome. Like, you know, it's like the one series that they like play and then they like get into based on fighting games. Like they're never going to be like, oh yeah, I got Guilty Gear Strive and I was watching the, you know, footage from Nog. That's never going to happen, right? Like they, they're always like, oh yeah, I was ripping people in half. I'm like, sick. That's great. Let's get into that. Right. Yeah. If you, if your first game was the Guilty Gear Strive beta for fighting games, that's probably not. Yeah, the it's best, over. Uh... That was your last game as a fighting game fan. First and last game as a fighting game fan for sure. Oh man. So I was definitely a spoiled person getting into the FGC since Combo Breaker was like my first tournament just ah. because of working, like working in esports, I didn't really go to locals. And then Echo Fox just like, Hey, you're kind of close to Combo Breaker. You want to go help out with the team? And I was like, yeah, sure. And then I fell in love and eventually like kept getting more and more involved but i wanted to know more so you were competing for a while and then how did yeah. you start making the switch over to commentary and then what made you eventually decide to go full-time uh i think co commentary is one of those things that i think for most people especially in that time period you sort of just did because no one else was doing it if that makes any sense so mm -hmm. like you'd be at like an arcade or something or like wherever your local was. So mine was at super arcade and there's just no one talking about the game. Right. So there's like a stream and there's like a stream runner and there's just nobody commentating it. Like there's no one sitting there who like cares or knows about the game. So you just kind of like look around and you're just like, Hey, can I get on? And they're like, sure. So you just get on and you do a bit of commentary. And if you're not bad, they'll let you on again the next time. Right. So for me, I'd already had a lot of practice like, in public speaking and stuff because of the videos I was making. And so like I did a little bit of commentary for other games, like Ringe dragged me on to do Marvel. And so like I had kind of been familiar with other stuff. So when they started doing more Killer Instinct and they started doing Injustice, I was like, okay, well, you know, I'll do these uh, these games and do a bit more commentary. So I was doing a little bit of both. And I think there came a point probably around in 20, maybe 2015 where uh, I was like thinking about which one I wanted to do. And there's more and more events where like I had an opportunity to commentate and I had an opportunity to play. And I always feel like when I do both at a tournament, I do both worse. You know what right. I mean? So like if I'm playing and commentating, I feel like my play is worse and I feel like my commentary is worse. So there was just like a few events where I was offered commentary jobs. And, you know, it was like the first time I had been offered jobs for commentary. They're like, hey, we're going to pay for this. We're going to pay for that. And so like I was thinking about it more and more. And I was like, you know, I love competing and I love playing fighting games and I will still do that. But at the same time, if I have to pick one, I think that there is less people that are doing commentary the way that I want rather than playing. You know what I mean? Like as much as I enjoyed playing, I'm not the best player on the planet and I'm not going to be the best player on the planet. So like if there's something that I'm interested in pursuing, I like both things. Commentary just felt like a natural thing. And it was something that I love to do because 
I had already, at the time I was like coaching wrestling and I was making YouTube videos about like, you know, teaching and tutorials and stuff. So it just felt like a natural transition to go and do it. And there's still times even in like 2016, 2017, where I would enter tournaments for fun and stuff, but it wasn't really ever like my goal after that to play very serious. I just did it when I wanted to, or when I thought I would enjoy it. Right. So did you at the time think, oh, I'll do, I'll switch focus to commentary and then was it planning to be a full-time job or was it just kind of a side thing? It was, it was still kind of a side thing until I think I, I was doing it on the side for fun. It was like extra income and stuff in 2015. And in 2016, around April, um, there was like an event series that offered a, me, myself, Steve, and Rip commentary like once a month for like eight months or something. Right. And, you know, on top of that, we had been reached out to by like tons of different local or tons of different like regional and major tournaments. So probably like five or six other tournaments besides that. And so Steve was like, kind of like, hmm, if I do this, I don't know that I can also still keep the job I'm currently doing. And I was in school. So I was like, you know, this is a lot of stuff to take on at the same time. So I was kind of like, you know, why don't we give it a go for like a little bit? And if it doesn't work, like, you know, doing it full time, we'll, we'll just call it quits. We'll, we'll say we tried and we'll just give it a go. So around April we of 2016, we decided to like try it full time and you know, it's the same situation. I I assume most people are like, you don't really realize it's ever going to be full-time until there's so much stuff that you can't, you don't really have time for anything else, right? Like it has to become full-time because to do it, you have, you know, so much time and, and effort that you're occupying doing whatever this side thing is that it just becomes your job sort of un, unknowingly and unwillingly, right? Like it's just sort of like, oh God, I guess this is my job now. Right. That seems like a natural progression, just constantly increasing the workload till you just can't do anything else yeah and it's enough it's enough money to like be your job right like it replaces whatever was creating you income before you're like oh god this is like enough that i can you know think about this as my job now right and i think that can apply to a lot of jobs in esports mm -hmm. people kind of do it on the side or for fun whether it's competing content creation kind of anything and eventually they get to the point where you've been so successful and you're working so much that you can make it full-time yeah, that is super normal. I feel like that's the case for most people I know, too. It's like you just sort of keep doing it until someone offers you money for it. And then once enough people do it, you're like, oh, I guess this is my job now. Like it's it's not I don't think it's ever an intentional thing. I don't think most people set out with the goal of this will become my job and make it happen. I think most people just sort of do it because they enjoy doing it and then it becomes their job later on. Right. Especially for some older uh, players and commentators. But like I think about myself right now, I'm graduating in a week and yeah, i'm you're a young and now man. i'm i'm purposely looking for esports jobs and for esports opportunities yeah. because it's grown so much to the point where that's a possibility mm -hmm. unfortunately not as many of those are in fighting games yeah especially with the lack of events this year but it's still like that growing field more people are planning on it being a full-time thing yeah, like when I when I was a kid, it was not a job that you could just even when I was like out of out of uh, high school, it was not like a job people pursued full time. You know what I mean? Like it was not really something that most people did. It was like a side gig and it like it was still a pretty young field at the time. So like a lot of people were like, you know, not aware of what was going to happen with it or anything like that. And it just continued to grow. So, yeah, for me, it was just a side thing. Like people had started to grow pretty large, like YouTube channels around that time, maybe. But that was like maybe the only avenue. Like Justin TV was like not even around until like maybe a little 
a little later and then it turned into twitch and everything so right so you mentioned working as like a wrestling coach mm -hmm. so having worked in some traditional sports as well and having been like around wrestling i wanted to know if there were any lessons and stuff that you learned while working as a wrestling coach that you've applied to your work in fighting games yeah definitely i will I think a lot of the lessons about teaching, right? Since, you know, as a coach, it's essentially, it's a teaching position, right? You have to come up with like plans and strategies and ways to teach things so that the people you're coaching can like pick up on it and it'll make sense to them. But also just like a lot of the things that as a wrestler, you sort of learn just are ingrained in you. I think probably for life, a lot of the lessons that like, um, especially focus on self-motivating because it's a sport that it's one-on-one. -on -one. It's a lot like a fighting game. It's one-on-one. -on -one. There is no excuse on anybody else when you lose. Like, it's just the responsibility falls solely on you and your, like, mental and physical ability. And how hard you train and care about the stuff that you're doing will impact the way you perform when it's, like, a live event. You know what I mean? And the same kind of way where in wrestling we would travel to tournaments and travel to events all the time. It's It reminds me a lot of what fighting games are like. And so the biggest thing that I took away from wrestling probably, besides just coaching, was the work ethic of wrestling is such a brutal grind to just fight to be the absolute best like the best person at your weight the best person in your room the best person in your region the best person in your state the best person in the country you know what i mean like it's just such a it's an exponential growth that you can see going up and up and up and like you choose how much effort and time you want to put into making it a, a focus and a priority and if you don't care and you're competing you're just going to get beat up and it's going to feel really bad to just get absolutely clobbered over and over for weekends and years at a time right so similarly like that kind of work ethic that was drilled into me from that has never changed it's always been something that is it's super easy for me to self-motivate and super easy for me to just like set plans of attack and just go after it and make it happen because if i didn't in wrestling i would just get beat up and i think that kind of like mentality has really helped and not only that but uh just a lot of the the kinds of things that i learned being a wrestler and then teaching wrestling or teaching um anything like that it definitely applies and even when you're like um not a coach if you're a wrestler when you have like training like practice partners essentially it's very similar to fighting games in that regard practice partners or training partners that you work with and a lot like fighting games you, you know when you guys play like a fighting game together you take it serious and you try to improve and stuff it's the same thing in wrestling you know you have to you want your partners or whoever your training partners are to be the best that they can be so that they help you get better right it's a very similar mindset in that so i think there's a lot of uh, comparison points between the sport and fighting games especially yeah right so you talked quite a bit about like the similarities and, and kind of how things fit together. So when it came to like teaching wrestling versus fighting games, what were some of the major differences that you've had to uh, deal with? Yeah, I mean, in wrestling, like, especially when you're, you're teaching stuff in wrestling, you're there in person, right? I'm not like, I'm not doing wrestling videos online or something. You're, you're there in person and you can literally walk up to someone and just like grab them and be like, hey, your right hand should be here your left hand should be here this is how you do this thing right or like hey you do this you do that like you know what i mean it's like a much more like hands-on kind of thing where you can be like hey you know the the kind of pressure you're applying should be like this this is how the move should be all right try it 10 times in a row right it's a very different like a very hands-on repetition style thing that you can just do over and over and then teaching people online like it's a lot of the things about fighting games are more abstract and you can't say hey your opponent should be in this exact position right at this exact time like you know the kinds of things you teach are a little different so i had to be a bit more creative about uh coming up with clear concise examples for people to to demonstrate it and at the time you know if i went online and typed in wrestling tutorials 
I'd find a ton. But if I went online and typed in like fighting game tutorials, there's not nearly as many. So I, I would have to kind of theory craft my own ideas about like, what, how do I even teach people this kind of thing? Especially because I don't remember how I learned it. I just sort of know that over time I picked up, picked up many different things playing fighting games. So it was kind of like, you know, a, a method of like, hmm, what did I struggle to learn when I was learning and why did I struggle it? And what would have made that process easier? And in wrestling, you know, you I had direct coaching the whole time. It was, hey, this is the move you want to do here. This is the move you want to do here. I can look online and look up some move and try it and bring it back to a room and, like, test it, right? And so that that is similar in fighting games in some way, but very very different in other ways, I think. Right. Like, you made the example of moving someone's hand to be in the right spot. And yeah. that just made me think, like, when you're teaching someone a fighting game, you can't go up to them and when you're teaching them a combo, be like, all right, you need to hit the button right now and then, like, push their finger into yeah it. i can't like, grab just... their hand and do a quarter circle and then be like there it is you got it right like I, they have to they have to figure this out on their own you know what i mean i just can't mm -hmm. i can't be like put your hand here and hit this but like i mean it's yeah it's not quite the same it's a similar idea but it's not quite the same for sure right so when you're teaching people like wrestling or fighting games like you can obviously be teaching them how to do a very specific thing but one thing i've yeah. also seen in your content is basically teaching people how to learn on their yeah. own. So what are kind of some of the challenges you face with that and really just going about showing someone the way to learn a fighting game? Yeah, I think teaching people how to learn is like such a, it's such an abstract almost idea, you know what I mean? And the way I always try to do it is make it very broad because everybody has probably learned some kind of skill or some kind of thing at some point, right? There's there's always something that is like difficult to pick up that people have put a lot of time and effort into to get good at, right? So oftentimes when people try to learn fighting games, they say, fighting games are so hard, I can't pick up this thing, I can't pick up that thing. And I'll be like, okay, well, what do you do besides fighting games? And they're like, oh yeah, I'm in an orchestra. I'm like, bro, you play an instrument. Like think about playing an instrument and how difficult it is to learn an instrument, learn all the many different things. That's a skill that you've built over time. And so explaining to people that fighting games are like, like all things are about teaching yourself how to learn. And once you understand how to learn, learning is just a process that you do in the same kind of way for any skill you want to learn, whether it's a language, an instrument, you know, um, fishing, like it could just be anything that you can think pole vaulting, right? Like underwater basket weaving, whatever skill you want to like learn, you, you learn it in the same kind of way every time. And it's the same kind of learning process of applying stuff you know, trying things, failing miserably, readjusting, trying things again, learning from different sources, getting inspiration from different places. It's a constant kind of like thing where you start with like, um, my favorite thing to think about is like Katamari Damacy. I don't know if you've ever played it. You start with this like little ball and you just keep rolling, right? And you pick stuff up. And sometimes you run into something where you're, you just can't pick it up. You just bounce against the cat and you're like, damn, I can't pick up this cat. I can go pick up that thumbtack over there, but I'm not quite big enough to pick up this cat. And once you pick up like a thousand thumbtacks, you have this big old catamaran. You see that cat and you run it the fuck over and you just scoop it up easy peasy, right? That's what learning is like. You just, you have a, a tiny little thing that you start with. And over time, you're picking up little skills. And eventually, the kinds of things you become able to pick up very quickly are large concepts or difficult ideas that you can just sort of naturally, you know, add to your collection of stuff. But in the beginning, it's like small, you know, in a fighting game, it's just figuring out what button does what? <laughs> what do my buttons even do? Like, it's such a small thing. It's like, is this the light button? Or is this the light? I don't even know what button does which. That's where you start. And, you know, eventually, you think about the kinds of things you can learn later on. You're like, wow, I really learn so much and even as you know somebody who's like you pick up a million different things and you just feel it so bad you're like oh i missed my cross cut uppercut to beat this thing i'm so bad it's like dude like a year ago you didn't even know what the buttons were 
right? Like, yeah, you, you have to give yourself some kind of like frame of reference, right? To, right. To remember like where you were. Well, and I just think of like every FPS game. If I picked up a controller and started playing an FPS, the same button's gonna be shoot. The same button's yeah. gonna be aim. The same button's probably gonna be reload. But when you go to fighting games, almost every single game has a different button layout. Like sure, Street yeah. Fighter has light, medium, heavy, and Guilty Gear has like slash, heavy slash, punch, yeah, punch kick, kick, slash, dust, heavy slash. The thing is, too, is that I think that point is, is really good in, in that there is some universal ideas between picking up different shooters. I think fighting games have some universal ideas, although it's obviously different. But I think a lot of people equate like I know how to play shooters because I played a bunch of different shooters. And so when I pick up a new shooter, I can just do it. When I pick up a, a fighting game, I'm struggling. And it's like the problem, I think, is that people don't remember their first shooter. The one where they're like staring at the controller and they're like, which one of these moves me? And this one also is aiming. They're like, there's no way I can use both of these directional sticks at the same time to both move and aim at the same time. Like, it, I was talking to Tasty Steve about that. And, you know, he's played a million fighting games in his life. He can pick up a new fighting game, you know, anytime. And he was like, bro, I, I'm like <laughs> trying to look at this. I don't know how this thing works. I see somebody and I'm just like, and I just panic, you know. So I think people, yeah, people do that to themselves all the time. They compare the successes of something that they've put in a lot of time into, learning many different shooting games, to picking up a fighting game where they're brand new, right? Many of us have just played shooting games since we were like a kid. I, I can't mm -hmm. remember the, even the first time I played a game where I had to shoot. I don't even, it was so early in my life that I don't even recall. I was like probably under five years old and I was just oh, blasting yeah. people, you know what I mean? Like I'm like, yeah, I just don't remember. So it's just so naturally ingrained into my system as a human. I mean, the first fps game that i owned was black ops for the nintendo wii which mm. is a little bit different of a, a shooting mechanic yeah, you're, actually when you're, you're pointing the, the motion control around yeah. so that was interesting but i mean i remember i used to sherpa people through raids in destiny back in d1 and my friend was like hey my dad's never done a raid can you help him and the dude literally like couldn't walk and turn at the same time so yep. like he would walk forward turn walk forward turn it's like oh yeah. we're gonna have to <laughs> so we like took some time out in the middle of a raid to show him like all right you're gonna want to be able to do this so we're gonna practice without any enemies around so that you can get it down and do it when we actually start it again and it that's what just you gotta so... do i mean i yeah i remember teach i've taught so many people the exact same thing it's like you can't you can't be on rails you know what i mean you can't mm -hmm. just like whoop, 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 and then have to turn like you just can't do that nobody you'll never survive you'll never be tough enough you know like you gotta <laughs> you gotta figure this out for sure like they're gonna eat you up out there kid i told this to like my uncle i was like they're gonna eat you up out there kid you got no chance like you know he was trying to learn and he couldn't move and shoot at the same time i was like it's over so like yeah you, you know it's the same kind of thing Oh, man. So I was watching one of your videos talking about learning Power Rangers recently. Mm -hmm. And you talked about kind of back to wrestling where in a three hour practice, you would learn two or three new moves. And like kind of over time, I've picked up a lot of stuff just regarding learning fighting games. So how do you get that importance across of like setting goals and purposeful learning of like specific mechanics? Yeah, so I, I think like when you hit the point where you know enough to know how much you don't know right you've hit that point where you're like okay i know i know a little bit but now i need to build this specific skill that i'm bad at anti-airing or you know doing this setup or inputting this thing like that's when you can sit and pick those things based on what you're struggling with usually my recommendation on how those things work is when you start a session figure out at the start of the session what you want to do. So like go into training mode and, you know, most people when they start, they go into training mode, they like warm up a little bit. They, you know, do some of their combos and stuff and then they go online. 
whatever the first thing that you see as a glaring weakness online, right? You can't anti-air, you can't whiff punish some move, you can't stop something, you can't help yourself mashing on defense, whatever the, the issue is, make that the goal at like the start of the session because you want something that you have the most possible amount of time to try to fix right you don't want to pick a goal in the last 10 minutes of your online play session and try to fix it because fixing something like that in 10 minutes is so hard you want hours so that way you give yourself the best possible chance to like fix it and then if you do then pick something else and make sure that that carries over into your next session you know what i mean like a lot of these goals are not goals that you can fix immediately right, right. like they, they take time whether it's like 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, two hours, a year, it's a lot of these things will just take you time to drill in, you know, like, it's not like in wrestling, I don't recall how long it took me to like, get really good at certain things. But I know that there was like, there was one year, I think it was like my, my second year of wrestling, I was horrible at standing up. If I ever got took like somebody got me with a takedown, my I was like horrible at ever standing up off the ground. It was just like miserable. So just like equate that, I guess, to getting knocked down and dying in a fighting game, right? Mm -hmm. It's like the same idea. I was horrible at it. I spent a year. Like I remember it was a solid summer where I just did nothing the entire summer but drilled that one thing. I was like, all right, all I care about is that next year, if anybody ever takes me down, I'll stand up every time. And I remember like a year or and two later when I was in my third and fourth year of wrestling, that was one of my biggest strengths by far is that like, it was almost impossible for me not to like escape if I ever got taken down. Right. And so like, you know, I remember that it was a specific goal I set a summer for. It was mm -hmm. not one day. It was not 10 minutes. It was like the entire summer. It's all I cared about. I was like obsessed with it. I was like, this is going to be the goal that I improve on. And so I spent three or four months only working on one thing. So when you think about that in the context of learning a fighting game, imagine if you really struggle with one thing and you spent a summer like I'm going to be the best at anti-airing in the world. By the end of the summer, you're going to be a fantastic. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I, I think you have to. Yeah, you have to recognize how, you know, if the goal is like I'm going to floss every day. Well, all right, you can probably start doing that today. It doesn't seem that hard. But if the goal is difficult and complex, right, then it's going to take you a long time to, to do it. And you should be realistic about how long it's going to take. Right. So I think you spend a lot of time teaching other people fighting games and you've kind of also talked about like improving as a commentator. Mm -hmm. So what do you personally like struggle with or really focus on when it comes to learning new commentary or like new games for commentary? Yeah, for me, I feel like I have a formula pretty much down but the thing that one thing that was interesting to me is like um when i messed up my hands late last year i couldn't play games for like four months mm -hmm. and during those four months there weren't a lot of new games coming out but there were new characters and there were new things that i couldn't get my hands on and play like to get a feel for and a lot of to me a lot of about commentary is understanding not only how things work on a mechanical level but understanding the feel of the match like so as a commentator, you can see, right, if this character is far away, he's better than when this character is up close or something, right? You can see that kind of stuff. But like, what are the specifics of what ranges feel comfortable? They feel scary. Like, where are your options, you know, feeling terrifying as a player? Or what does that moment feel like? Or why does this player do this one thing? I think stuff like that is hard to explain unless you put yourself in the position yourself. So I, I had to think a lot about how to get those feelings or understand why people are making decisions like that that seem surface level or easy while only watching and not being able to play. So that's like a skill that I was working on late last year and early this year. 
and now my hands are okay i can play again but that is definitely something that i had to work on and, you know as a commentator there's always new stuff that you want to pick up and improve on like uh you know, one of the first big ones that I realized was that my commentary was too flat in 2016. So in 2017, I did a lot of figuring out how to make it less flat and make it more exciting. And then in 2017, I accomplished that. And then I realized that was really bad, bad at big moments, right? Mm -hmm. Where like somebody wins a tournament and I'd be like, well, be one. And like, that's bad, right? You don't want yeah. that at all. Like you want it to be like, oh my God, he wins the tournament. He's your blah, 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 you know, Equinox podcast champion. <laughs> He's going to take home all this money. It's the greatest moment of his life. Like you got to really sell the moment. Right. So I, I worked on that. And then in 2018, I worked on like, you know, um, con uh, taking long bits of analysis and figuring out ways to squish it up. You know what I mean? Like make it super tight, super concise because I was doing rather, rather fast-paced matches and I wanted to make sure that my analysis wouldn't take too long. I, that was a pet peeve of mine. So I worked on that, right? And then in 2019, you know, I've, I always set new goals and, and those are things that I wanted to work on too, was making sure that I took other things that I had done in my commentary and didn't forget about them. So one was bringing back like a sort of style of description that I was doing in matches to describe players, like little bios that gave some insight into their style and stuff. I wanted to make sure that I sold that more. So like, you know, every year, depending on how my commentary goes in like the first month or two, I usually set goals and make decisions about how I'll try to improve it for the rest of the year. And so for this year, it's been really interesting because there hasn't been any events. So I haven't really had as much time to commentate and really think about my commentary as much uh, as I usually do. But on my stream, I do the same kind of analysis and I do the same kind of commentary and everything. So, you know, it, it's just a constant thing where you you listen to your your stuff and you think about what's good and what's bad and what's reasonable to change. And the large goals that will take a long time to change, you just kind of have to be like, okay, well, I'm going to have to try to improve at this for a long time. And once I do, it will be worth it. But for a while, you know, it's going to piss you off when you can't get it right. You know, you're, you're going to be frustrated that it didn't quite like turn out the way you intended or wanted, but that's okay because it's working towards a goal where eventually you'll be at the spot where you want to be. Right. And this year has definitely brought an interesting challenge with a handful of online mm -hmm. events. Mm -hmm. And like I watched the extra life event you did with power Rangers with Ringe, And I was kind of curious how you went specifically about that event. And for like a game that you really didn't know about, you hadn't played before. How did you, uh deal with commentary for that well generally my answer would be just prepare for it like go and learn whatever game you're gonna do but for that event i had no idea like so the event was supposed to happen offline in april and mm -hmm. then it got canceled and i didn't know it was gonna like we didn't know it was gonna shift to online until pretty late and so my intention was to learn power rangers before the event because i was like okay power rangers is gonna be there i'll learn power rangers before the event the event gets canceled because of COVID. So I think, well, I'm not going to learn Power Rangers now. I'll learn it when I feel like it's a good time to learn it. And then very last minute, the event got re... It got re It's like, oh, it's happening, guys. They just get the call. Hey, guys, it's happening now. We're going to do it, blah, blah, blah. Cool. And so for that event, I had no idea I was even going to do it, that game until it was like kind of there. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And I didn't even know what games on the list I was going to be working on until kind of very late. So it was one of the few times where I didn't have a lot of prep time. And so I just went and watched some footage of the game to try to figure it out. And I was also very honest. I was like, guys, I'm not a professional in this game, right? You know, I do a lot of fighting game stuff, but I don't watch a lot of, like I haven't played or seen a lot of Power Rangers. So this is like a game that I'm really interested in learning about. Right. And so like the other two games, I'd actually, the two non-traditional fighting games, I knew pretty well comparatively. But for Power Rangers, you know, a lot of the basic things that you've, 
you see in fighting games kind of become natural. So stuff like I was like, oh, I could I see. So that character uses this move for this, and this move character uses this move for this, and this is what this is, and you know. So like very quickly, the game just kind of fell together for me, and I just I guess my my experience commentating fighting games helped there. But yeah, generally I would like a lot of prep time to make sure that I'm super prepared for what it is. Like usually when um, Evo, for instance, announces their game lineup. I try to learn about every single game that's going to be at Evo, like months right. and months and months in advance. So that way, at least I have some basic talking points about where the games are and how they work and stuff. But like, yeah, generally that's the the plan. That was one of the few times where I was kind of like deer in headlights, like, oh, I guess I'm just going to talk about this based on what I know about fighting games. And yeah. I, it went fine. I think a lot of people were still interested in it. And I've been learning Power Rangers lately, and it's been great. No, yeah, it was still really fun to watch. And Rangers throwing in all kinds of lore and stuff. Mm-hmm. That, that would have been nice great. too. I don't know that much about Power Rangers lore. Like I'm not like a super big lore guy. He's like Tommy hits him with that, and I was like Tommy. I was like, there's a blue guy and there's a a green guy. Which one's Tommy? I was like, all right, well, we'll figure it out. I think that's honestly just like a general fighting games problem. Does anyone really like go into the lore of a fighting game Never. that much? Yeah, I don't. I I've not even. Pl- I can't remember. I was saying this the other day. I can't remember the last single player I played for any fighting game. Yeah, honestly, I think the last one that I did was Power Rangers because they got the voice actors from the show. Oh, okay, yeah. I was going to say, that would make sense, yeah. I'm going to check that out. But I wanted to kind of switch over to a different topic. Um, So being a commentator, content creator, and just kind of a general influencer in fighting games, how have you... I mean, obviously, everyone has been part of, like, the rollback fight, yeah, waving or, the banner. Working on sure. it. Yeah. But how do you approach using your platform to kind of help share your views or uh, bring up controversial issues? I don't do it that often. Right. Like, I'm not somebody who's like, some new thing comes out and I'm like, all right, guys, like, we got to fight for this fight. You know, uh-huh. I don't usually get involved in a lot of, especially just like drama stuff. For me, my interest in fighting games is largely the games themselves and like the community around it i love but i'm more focused on like the technical aspects of the game and my time and energy is often just focused on that i think steve and i are similar in that aspect like you'll never see tasty steve ever comment on any drama i comment more than him and i don't comment very much like he does not care at all like his whole life is like he loves video games and so he just like is excited around it like we're both very similar in that regard so like when when i talk about stuff like rollback or netcode being bad or features being bad it's stuff that i really care to talk about and i think has a decent impact but like yeah as far as like direct drama goes i almost never engage in it unless i say something that's like a meme or like a joke or something but i don't really ever engage in that kind of stuff but as far as like issues within like you know finding game devs this or like you know something that i really want to change like netcode or something that really i think is important to talk about and educate people about that i care about is when i get involved and netcode is definitely a big one just because i think a lot of people that play fighting games like lack perspective of playing other genres i play so many other games all the time like brs and shooters and card games and mobas and all this other kind of stuff so like maybe they don't have quite the perspective of what the other genres are like and so that's that's kind of when i'm like you know guys there's a whole other world out there and this world is like compared to us looks like a utopia so like you know it's worth discussing some of the merits that are going on right and i think general drama and asking for improvements to game and community are, are they're pretty clearly different, clearly yeah. different subjects yeah. um 
So I think there like obviously are clear benefits to having rollback and stuff, but and this may be a stupid question, but have like you had to deal with any negatives to you or your career while like constantly pushing for rollback or like bringing up other issues like that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's like nobody's ever happy when you're like, you know, this company should really be doing this better. That company's not like you're right. Like they're always just like, what the what's this guy's problem? You know, so like, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's definitely pushback sometimes when you get you get you get like, you know, people who are aren't quite happy with the, the way you talk about stuff. But I always try to be like realistic and not like flame anybody who doesn't deserve any flame you know what i mean like right you just try to be like look this is what people want and this is what people care about right and so yeah obviously the other thing too is there's you know anytime anything comes out with rollback like there is like so this is like a theoretical idea if guilty gears rollback comes out and it's bad i'm gonna get roasted forever oh, yeah. it's not my fault obviously like m i have no control over whether devs do the proper implementation of rollback or not but if a game like switched to rollback and then the implementation was bad the amount of people who are going to be like, boo, this is Sage's fault, boo. Instead of, like, actually blaming anybody who worked on it. Like, uh, you know, I don't know why that is, but that's just kind of, like, one thing that I thought about. But in general, you know, it's just people who, like, they kind of, like, meme. They're like, oh, you're the guy who always talks about netcode all the time, blah, blah. So that's, like, all it is. And I'm like, yeah, I guess that's me. I talk about netcode. Like, it's not really, like, a super bad thing. I'm like, it, it's. I didn't fight for anything that's controversial, I think. Like, right. it's such a... It's like a lukewarm take at best. So for that reason, I feel like it's like fine. I'm not like over here waving the banner for some silly thing. It's like pretty easy to be like, yeah, online play should be good, I think. Right. And I I think I remember this all kind of started from like watching the international and just like mm -hmm. wanting general improvements. Did you expect this issue to grow to the level it did? Based Absolutely on that first, not. Yeah. Absolutely not. I just like, and the thing is, is like there was no plan. So... This is like, you know, this is one of those streams where like there was a plan, but it wasn't that grandiose. Like it was in the stream topic. I was like, I'm going to talk about TI. And all I did is get on and be like, you know, guys, they have all these cool things. Man, as a fighting game fan, it sucks to look and see that it's so bad. And all I had was a list in my mind of like four things that I wish fighting games had. Right. So I was just like, yeah, I wish that these four things existed and that's it. And then that video got posted and people just like they just flocked to it and were uh -huh. like yeah like and i was like oh god so then i i started doing more and more research and i was like okay so if i'm going to talk about this people want me to talk about this again i should probably be slightly prepared so that's when i started talking to like you know friends in the industry who've worked on rollback or other games with that have uh, ggpo and stuff to like be like okay what should i not say and what should i say and like what's true and not so true so then it became one of those situations where like something i brought up sort of as like a random tangent in a stream topic got really big even if i have netcode in the title of my stream i will gain like 600 extra viewers that day just like naturally it's just like people yeah. are like uh oh netcode like it's just it's created such a phenomenon about it and it's like yeah i never want to i don't want to ever just talk about it for no reason either i want to make sure that like if i'm going to talk about netcode it's because there's some interesting netcode topic that came up or you know some game added something or you know what i mean it's it's got to like make sense but yeah i think like there's a fine line there where like, you know, the video exploded. And so I could have just talked about netcode for like 10 weeks straight and done all that stuff. But I, that's not my intention. Right. I, I mean, just, okay. at that point, it would have been overdone. If you just talk yeah, about it constantly sure. and, but yeah, you're not just sitting in your room, like with an evil master plan of I'm going to bring it up yeah. in a video and then it's going to blow up and then I'm going to, yeah. Gonna push I, I had the no entire... idea it was going to get that, but it was such a random thing to get that big too. I, it's mm -hmm. like before that I was never the netcode 
person. You know what I mean? It's not like I planned. I was like, you know what? I should be. I should be the netcode person. Like I, that was never my like intention. So I was like, oh, okay. I guess it just happened. I'm, I'm gonna just roll with it. Right. And I was actually kind of thinking about this, and you know, you we heard people play fighting games and they talk about bad connections all the time, but yeah. up until that point, at least from my end, no one had ever really brought up a realistic solution to like improving it across fighting games. And I think that could have kind of influenced it where someone with a decent enough platform finally said like, Hey, there is a way that's already been implemented that right. could improve all games. And like, we should, there's a, we should push for this for a reason. Yeah. I guess that makes sense too. It's, it's one of those things, you know, I realized it when I was talking about it. a lot of people didn't even know about rollback or they didn't know the strength, like what it does differently. Right. Mm -hmm. And like why people would get behind it. And so when I did all that video, like I did the video about it and we talked about it, there was obviously like that kind of moment where a lot of people were like, where can I find out more information about rollback? And I was like, well, there's not that <laughs> many places, like there's not very, especially digestible breakdowns right. of what rollback does. Like you could link them, like there's like a GGPO paper that was written. Um, and like, it's, it's really interesting and fascinating, but it takes a bit of like digging into, right? Like it's not like a surface level piece on, net code it's like you really have to get in there and think like while reading it like how does this work? oh okay and like if you don't have a mind for it i think it's like especially confusing if you don't understand how it works so then that ended up leading to the net code article that info wrote on ki.info.net and i right. think a lot of the intention behind that article was like he and myself and many others were like i wish there was like a really easy resource to push people to that was like how does rollback work how does delay work why what are the strengths and weaknesses of both and so he wrote this really incredible article that he put so much time into and so that became another great resource to be like hey everybody if you care about netcode this is a great place to go and find like rather digestible information about it compared to many of the other talks and stuff that have kind of been out there that are like more focused on devs or like programming and like maybe not as like pointed towards just general fgc fans who don't know the difference you know what right. I mean? Yeah, and I think, like, at least to me, it sounds very similar to commentary, like, creating that way for people to understand such, like, complex interactions and topics in ways that right. make sense in such a short amount of time. I think, yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's definitely, like, a, a comparable thing where, like, you want to explain something that is rather complex in an easy way. Mm -hmm. It's like why as a commentator, it's sort of you sort of try to always come up with this kind of stuff. It's why when I was teaching people how to learn, I came up with like the Katamari example, yeah. right? It's like little things that it makes it easier for people to realize what you're even trying to do. And I, like, you know, it's not something that even happens on purpose. Sometimes like you try to think of examples and sometimes they're just bad. But like that stuff like that will come up just naturally when you talk about something a lot because somebody in the chat will say something or some, you know, you'll think about it like some other way or I'll be at the airport going to combo breaker playing Katamari on my <laughs> thing. And I'm like, you know what this is kind of like, like, you know what I mean? It's just like you, you get these random strokes of inspiration. Right. And yeah, I think for commentary or for explaining any kind of topic, you want to make sure that you can explain it in a way that doesn't make people tune out. And that's a lot of teaching, I think, in general is keeping people engaged but also making sure that what you say doesn't just fly i don't want to be like the i don't want to be the net code teacher who's like just throws the textbook at you you know what right. i mean like i don't want to be that guy where you go to the lecture and you're like i don't know what just happened right you're like uh and you like look at the textbook and the textbook doesn't make sense you're like oh i'm gonna fail this class i don't want that to be the feeling of like me trying to talk about net code right so a little bit earlier you mentioned kind of actively participating and watching a lot of other different games and esports mm -hmm. Um, if we move kind of away from the netcode 
internet issues what are some things that you would want fighting games to kind of take from the other esports maybe from the event side or from like how we kind of just approach the competitive area mm, that is a good question i think in terms of of competition fighting game players love open bracket competition i think that right. there is such a big negative stigma against any kind of invitational or smaller tournament that people get involved in and i think like that's unfortunate because it's a little bit that battle is being fought on both sides to be honest with you so i think that one is a little weird i would like to see like well-run invitationals that people are happy to participate in and watch especially team style events more team events is always fun i think oh, yeah. people like that stuff but in terms of like what the games themselves are doing that I wish fighting games would do. Absolutely the way they monetize. I think fighting games, the way they monetize with seasons and stuff, you know, we've been doing it for a long time and it's sort of become the standard. But I think when you when I play a game like Runeterra or like the you know League card game or I play League of yeah. Legends or Dota or any of these other games where they're free to play and the model they have lets me buy skins and, you know, cosmetics in game and like stages, like stuff like that. It just seems like something that makes a lot more sense and people get behind in fighting games. For being a genre that people think about as being like rather cheap or maybe like rather like fighting games don't have a lot of money in them they're incredibly expensive as consumers like it's, yeah. it costs so money so much money to get into and like obviously devs are like always in a crunch for how much money they have to spend and stuff which feels bad that we spend a lot of money and then they don't have they're not getting a lot of money out of it it just seems like such a bad thing so i guess the monetization of a lot of the uh other games and also um you know stuff like uh, compendiums that dota has done and stuff like uh you know every every year for most games there's like some kind of like rocket league has a rocket pass and there's a battle pass and like so many games do passes and stuff like that right. every few months that you can like buy and like earn tons of free uh, you know stuff from it or like unlock it in game Th those i think are more natural progression points for how they should handle stuff and then it helps fuel their esports stuff as well most of the time so i think that that makes more sense than probably what we're doing a lot of the time in fighting games and we've tried that stuff before and every time we do it has a lot of success like ki did a shadow jago skin and like that performed super well mk did a skin that performed super well like uh the cpt costumes like cpt sells the amount of like costumes street fighter has sold i'm sure is astronomical like it's probably right. just an unbelievable amount of money so to me that kind of stuff seems like such a slam dunk and i wish that fighting games were would do them more it's it seems like in talking with some of the developers to me it seems like something that they're very interested in but it's just it's tough to justify the cost sometimes to people and make stuff happen in that way right there's so many like esports that do championship skins or stuff that sell and like i was thinking about yeah. it when tekken prize pool was brought up i thought it was like this dude just won the world championship and he won such a small sum of money and i was like tekken has customizable characters it would be yeah. super cool for me to be able to buy one of the esports team's jerseys that I yeah. could put on my character and the money that they make from that goes to the prize pool for TWT. Yeah, like in-game in, in Dota or League or like any other place, you can buy like team icons mm -hmm. and then that goes to like the teams or like it goes to like, you know, help support prize pools and stuff. Like that seems like a slam dunk too, you know what I mean? Like right. so there's so many people that want to support in that kind of way. And I think that there's plenty of ways to do it. Like uh, largely, I think, right, you monetize all the cosmetics and like all the stuff in game that doesn't affect the game plan i think people are always you know they like that kind of stuff right like they like being able to buy cool skins and they like being able to buy cool stages or like you know in rocket league being able to put like a top hat on your car or like you know different smoke when you're like dry. like there's like all kinds of stuff like that that's just a slam dunk for i think most 
people, right? Like, I think that that stuff is really cool. If like, you know, Ryu had an evil Ryu skin, right? Like where you can just buy that and it changes the look of everything. And it's like a fancy expensive skin. Like people would buy it. Although mm -hmm. I guess evil Ryu exists as a separate character a lot of times, but right. You know, people would buy that kind of stuff. And I think people are interested in that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's, it just seems like a slam dunk to me. And when you look at their tournaments and like all their broadcasts and everything and all the different resources and stuff that they have compared to us, it's like not even close, right? It's like the, the on the esports side, it's not even a comparison in terms of the amount of money spent and how much more resources they have when you watch stuff like LCS or you watch stuff like LAC and you see like the amount of graphics they have available and stats they have and notes that they have for them and the ways that the broadcast incorporates all that together. Like it's like, bro, I got my phone and I'm on Smash GG and I'm like, oh, so looking at the bracket that's not filled in here, I can assume yeah. this is winner's finals of the pool because they're both on opposite sides of the bracket. So this must be it. And like the two players, like, I know who the two players are because I know who the two players are, but there's not like notes being fed into my ear. That's like, okay, so this is his 57th straight week of, you know, playing on the LAC or whatever. Like I don't have those kinds of notes or, or information, right? So that is just a, such an insurmountable gap by comparison that I don't even often think about that stuff. I just look at it and I'm like, oh, that's cool. They have that. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't even think to myself, I wish I had it because it's so far away from where we are. I think. Right. And well, like those kind of games, they just spend so much time out of game as well. Yeah, because the, I mean the major difference obviously being a game lasts anywhere from thirty minutes to an hour. Yeah, and then you have a twenty minute break and then you do it again for fighting games. Fighting games and and how we handle our content for sure. Like in an hour of fighting games, you know, there's like a six minute break and that's about it. And every other minute of the broadcast is us having a match or finding a match. Right? It's like have a match set up for the next match. Have a match set up for the next match. It's like it's very quick. Like in other games, it's like you know they got their they have like an analyst desk, so that takes up some time if you just want to watch pure gameplay. They have like um, other segments that they're doing on the stream. They have interviews and stuff. So all of that is cool and it adds to the broadcast in many ways, I think. But like if your goal is only to consume matches, fighting games are probably very good for that, I think, in, ter in terms of how our tournaments are set up. Right. So have you ever considered commentating any of the other games or what in general is keeping you within FGC commentary. Yeah, so I've been asked and and I've talked about or entertained doing other games many times. It's just I don't have like a an attachment to fighting games that is so strong that I wouldn't break it. Right. But I only would want to commentate something I really want to do. So like I had I've had other offers for games that you know, I've been big offers and they're like for rather large franchises and stuff, but it's not been like a game that I was like really personally excited for, you know what I mean? So like if the game is right, if some shooter comes out and I love it, or if some card game comes out and it's like my favorite thing ever, like if, if I was asked to commentary for it, I would, right? Like, you know, right. if I'm interested in doing it, it's not that I would not want to do fighting games. It's just like, there are games that I'm interested in that I would want to do. So like, you know, people always ask me what I would want to do. And so like, there've been times where I was super invested in MOBAs and I was mm -hmm. like, man, I'd really like to do a MOBA. And there's been times where I've been super invested in card games. And so like, if you know, that card game had events, I would love to do it. Right. So for me, I feel like it's just largely the right game. Like for fighting games, I love so many different fighting games, so I'm always down to do it. But yeah, it just has to be the right the right game and the right amount of um, attachment for whatever I'm doing. Because I I'm in a position where, very thankfully, like I just do what I want to do, and so like that's what I do for a living. And so to do something I don't want to do would be like 
it, it has to be something monumental, monumentally life-changing for me to even consider it. And most of the time then it's still probably a no, you know, I just right. want to focus on the stuff that I think is cool. Right. I think that makes sense. And luckily you have that opportunity because yeah, not everybody so knows. Many, sure. There are so many fighting games that are fun to watch are fun to yeah. listen to people talk to play fun to listen to commentary which i think is something we're lucky like if you look at mobas there's dota league and then i guess like if you want to watch heroes of the storm or something but the the stuff for that is just so hard to find compared to turn on twitch and riot games is there on the front page with their world championship in some olympic stadium they got a bajillion viewers everybody oh, that's ever even heard of it, it's like oh yeah i'm watching league of legends right it's like yeah they have just so many people tuned into it and stuff and the other thing too is like you have more i think especially in in fighting games maybe not especially but there, there's access to a lot of our commentators in the sense that a lot of us stream and we're on twitch all the time and you see us at events so there's like a more personal way to like chat with us than other people like if you go to an esports event, you will probably not see the commentators unless they're like walking to where they need to be. Because once they make it to the production area, the production area is where they work. It's where they get like all their catering and their food and everything. It's where they have all their stuff. There's like a backstage for them to go and then they leave at the end of the day. So like, you know, unless they set out specific time to do something like they're there. When I'm at a fighting game tournament, I'm just in the crowd. I'm just chilling. Right. You know what I mean? Like you just I'm there. Right. right. So there's more access to us, I think, than in many of those other events and it's just by the nature of our events and the kind of stuff that we do i think and i think that's such a, a great thing for people to have though obviously sometimes people don't have the best discretion is when they go up to a player or commentator yeah. but i mean there's not much you can do on that side if people dude i lost the fan i got minus one true fan i was on commentary at some event and some guy walked up to me and was trying to take a picture with me while in the middle of a match oh my god and then i was like hey, hey bro i'm commenting and they like shoot him away and he was like i'm mad that you didn't take a picture with me like he was pissed about it and oh, i was like man. minus one true fan there he goes i lost them. it was like 2016 or something like that too i was like all right it was super funny i was like bro you gotta know what's going on it was the middle of a match i was like all right some people are just not not like paying attention to what's going on. I no. think of like sometimes that I'd be working a football game or something in the fall and the players would be like going out onto the field, getting ready for the game, and some mom's like, Take a picture with my kid as they're like starting the game. Yeah. It's like, uh, lady, you got you you don't have time. This is not the right place, not the right time, like, you know somebody oh, get somebody's man. mom off the field like you gotta just you gotta just get out of there you know you're like all right it's it's too late i mean but luckily. yeah most of the time people are always always really cool about it and like um you know for big events where it's hard to run into people i do feel bad because a lot of the times people will be like i try to find you at x or y event and it's just so busy that i didn't see you like people will tell me i the only time i ever saw you at evo you were running across the ballroom like <laughs> i get that almost every year people will say the only time i ever saw you, you were like hustling across the ballroom and i'm like yeah if you see me hustling, you should still ask because the answer is either sure, real quick, we can do one or no, I got to go to commentary right now. Like, right. yeah, I'm like, you know what I mean? Like it's one or the other. And that's might be the only time you see me. So for Evo, like the last two years, I've tried to do like a, like at least an hour or something where I'm at like a, a specific booth or something, right? Where it's like, okay, right. you guys want to come up and talk and say, what's up? That's like a good place to do it. But like, you know, for so many people, uh, it's difficult to come say hi because there's just so much going on at an event like that. So that's why I think like, 
I'm, I'm happy to stream and answer questions and talk with people and stuff for that reason. Cause I think it makes it easier to connect and say what up, especially, I mean, this year there's no events, right? So right. you won't see me at Evo this year. Like Evo is going to be online. So if you want to say hi, you got to say hi in my chat or somewhere else. Yeah. And well, we don't have events, but there are ways for people to find you otherwise. So why don't you tell everyone quick where they can find you online? Yeah, you can find me at Twitch and Twitter at Sajam, S-A-J-A-M. And then my YouTube, if you type in Sajam, it'll come up. But my YouTube URL is Superman Sajam because when I made Sajam on YouTube, it was a six-character requirement, and Sajam is five characters for some reason. So <laughs> I didn't want to make it Sajam X or Sajam Swaglord 420. You know, I was like, all right, I'll just go with this. So, um, yeah, you can find me in all those places there. Like always, I tweet occasionally uh, about stuff other than my stream and uh usually it's like dog pictures or i'm flaming people for being rude to their villagers in animal crossing or yes tweeting about netcode or whatever i'm uh tweeting about and uh, you can find a lot of the media and stuff that i'm doing on there like always and uh it's always really cool to um what's it called just chat about everything that's going on like this podcast today i tweeted about that that's something yeah. that I do. I've tried to use my Twitter for stuff that's besides just going live on the stream. Oh, yeah. But I'd make, I, you know, I'm live five or six days a week. So I, I got at least five or six tweets every week that are like, hey, guys, I'm live on the stream. So, you know, I got to tweet more other stuff. I feel like I was better about that and now I'm worse about that. So it's a, you know, that's another goal I'm setting. I got to stream, I got to tweet more about stuff other than my stream. <laughs> it's a struggle. Finding stuff to tweet about for me is near impossible. But that about does it for episode six of the Equinox podcast. Say Jam, thank you much. Thank you very much for joining me. And I'll see everyone again in episode seven. Later, everybody.